having a great time. I'm grateful for all of our volunteers who participated in Bible school this week. So big thanks to you for all of your help and making it happen. It was a fantastic week and it wouldn't happen without our our great team of uh, leaders and volunteers who helped that take place. And so thanks to all of you. And if you notice, Colby running around with bright pink hair today or Sarah with bright blue hair, it's because they were doing an offering challenge this week for the kids at Bible school. And so the deal was that if the, there was a boy's offering basket and a girl's offering basket, and if the boys gave more money toward the offering than the, the girls, then, then the boys won, and so Sarah was going to dye her hair blue. And if the girls gave more money than the boys did, then the girls won, and Colby was going to have to dye his hair pink. And all week long, we thought that Colby was going to lose uh, that, that the boys were going to lose because we had the boys putting their offering in the girls' basket to make sure that Colby was going to lose. But someone was paying close attention and somehow, somewhere along the way, made sure that it was a tie so that they, I guess everybody wins or everybody loses. I suppose it really depends on how you choose to view that. And so they both made good on the deal and both dyed their hair. And so if you notice them running around looking like troll dolls, it's not a new fashion trend that they're trying to start. It's a consequence, if you will, really the reward for kids for giving their money toward missions this week with VBS. Again, a fantastic week. And so big thanks to all of our team who helped to make that happen. As we jump into this morning's text, I want to begin by talking about true north. What is true north? If you were to look at a map of planet Earth, particularly a map that shows lines of longitude and lines of latitude, you're going to find that at the north pole, the place where those longitudinal and latitudinal lines intersect, there is, there is the north pole on the, on the very top, if you want to think of it that way, the top of the world, so to speak. And that that place is identified as true north, the north pole. Now, no, we don't use compasses a lot these days because we take out our cell phones and we use maybe the compass app on a cell phone or we use GPS to help us navigate and get around in different places. But if you're relying on a compass, a magnetic compass, what you'll find is that the compass is pointing you in the direction of north. But did you know that if you follow that compass, you will not land at truly the very the very true north, the very top of the world, the, the exact North Pole, because ma- the magnetic north is actually off in slight variation from true north, and it actually depends on where you are in the world as to how much magnetic north is off. Now, to go much deeper than that, to explain it really probably gets uh, outside of the realm of what I understand and even know in, in, in much depth, but there's a difference between magnetic north and true north. And so when we talk about true north, it's, it's become sort of synonymous with or symbolic of the idea of something that is anchored in what is true and good, something that is of, uh, of, of, of supreme value and worth. And, and oftentimes when we are applying that to spiritual matters and we talk about true north, as people tend to do, 
We're talking, about, we're talking about pointing our lives in the direction of what is right and true regardless of what we see in the world around us. And in a number of ways, Paul has been saying to Timothy again and again as we've studied through the book of 2 Timothy, Paul has been urging Timothy to stay tethered to true north in his life. Now, Paul never uses the words true north, right? Uh, it, Paul had some experience with sailing. And, and so they had an idea of how to navigate using the stars, using the cardinal directions, things of that nature. But it, it's doubtful that they even understood the difference between true north or magnetic north. So it's not a concept per se that Paul uses. And yet, when you read the book of Second Timothy again and again, he's urging Timothy to stand for what is right, to stay true to what is good in spite of his circumstances, in spite of his difficulties. And so we go backward and, and review in this book again and again. Paul urges him, you're going to face hardships and difficulties, but stay true to what you know. Paul urges him that in spite of, of the trials that you go through, Preach the word, proclaim the word of truth, stay grounded in what you know to be right. And in so many ways, again and again, he's reminding him to stay devoted to, committed to what matters the most. And we know that for Paul, at least, the, the clear sense is that this is nearing the end of his life. In all likelihood, this is the very last that we hear from Paul. These words that we will read this morning. Now, I say in all likelihood because we don't know with absolute certainty the timing of the writing of all Paul's letters. But certainly we believe, scholars believe, that this is the last of Paul's writings. Even just the very, the very nature of what he's writing. Just when you, when you read this, it makes sense that Paul understands that his end is near. His last days are coming in, it seems, in short order according to the nature of how he's writing and speaking to Timothy here. And with that in mind, let's consider what Paul says this morning. Let's, let's understand and, and even if we can grasp the sense of urgency, the sense of passion that is driving Paul to write these letters. But let's also consider how not only does this speak to Timothy in his circumstance, in his situation, but it speaks to us as well. So that Paul, through the work of the Holy Spirit and God appointing Paul as his chosen means to reveal this word to us, Paul is speaking to us and speaking this word of truth from God to us that we would stay the course, that we would endure for the sake of the gospel, that we would finish well by tethering our lives to true north as well. And so let's jump into this final passage of text in 2 Timothy, beginning in chapter 4, verse 9. Paul urges Timothy, do your best to come to me soon. And we know that Timothy is at this point pastoring, leading the church in Ephesus. And yet, Paul desires to see Timothy, his beloved son in the faith, again before his end comes. And so he urges him, do your best to come to me soon. For Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia, Titus to Dalmatia. Luke alone is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you. For he is very useful to me for ministry. You know what's so interesting in particular about this reference to Mark here is you remember that it was over a matter related to Mark or John Mark as he's referred to in the book of Acts that Paul and Barnabas 
split ways. In Acts chapter 13, verse 13, we read that in, in the midst of their first missionary journey, John Mark left Paul and Barnabas and returned home. And then in Acts chapter 15, when Barnabas says, let's go out again and let's go on another missionary journey and return to the places where we've been and strengthen those churches and those believers, we read that Paul disagreed that they should take John Mark with them, and, and their disagreement was such that ultimately they parted ways. They, they ended the partnership, their traveling partnership or ministry partnership together, at least in as much as they, they went in different directions and went on a different route, Paul and Barnabas, from that point over John Mark. And yet, here we see that Paul says, bring John Mark, bring Mark, because he's useful for ministry. What, what does this say? Well, this, is, this isn't the main thrust of the text, but I think it's an important point that we grasp nonetheless. First of all, that, that Paul was willing to forgive and move on from Mark's failures in the past. But not only that, Mark, in spite of perhaps a moment in his life when he ran, when he should have taken a stand, or when he took the path of least resistance, when he should have stood strong, has now... Has now been restored and has proven himself again and again to the point that Paul acknowledges Mark is useful for ministry. Bring him with you. That gives us hope that even if there have been times in the past when we've blown it, when we've made mistakes, when we've failed or not followed through in the way that we should, that there's hope for us as well, that, that the end of our story is not written yet. And so we take courage in that as well. By the way, Mark is so useful and such a significant figure that he goes on to write the gospel of Mark for us. And so we know that, that Mark became a very prominent figure in the life of the early church in spite of his, uh, maybe his early beginnings and, and the way things went in, in what we see in Acts chapter 13. Anyway, back into verse 12. Tychicus, who I sent to Ephesus, when you come, bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at Troas, also the books, and above all the parchments, Alexander the coppersmith did me great harm. The Lord will repay him according to his deeds. Beware of him yourself, for he has strongly opposed our message. At my first defense, no one came to stand by me, but all deserted me. May it not be charged against them. But the Lord stood by me and strengthened me, so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. So I was rescued from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet Prisca and Aquila and the household of Onesiphorus. Erastus remained at Corinth, and I left Trophimus, who was ill, at Miletus. Do your best to come before winter. Eubulus sends his greetings to you, as do Pudens and Linus and Claudia and all the brothers. The Lord be with your spirit. Grace be with you. As we study this text this morning, what I, what I want us to see is that we can endure hardship. We can endure difficulty for the sake of the gospel when we are strengthened by the grace of Christ Jesus. And that's exactly what Paul is attesting to in his own life, in his own story, his own testimony here. And it's what he's urging Timothy to do. And as I've said already, through the, the work of the Holy Spirit, the revealed word of God that Paul is writing here continues to speak to us, urging us 
to do the same. I want us to focus primarily on verses 16 through 18 because that's the heart of this particular text. Verses 16 through 18 where Paul is sharing about events that took place in his own life, in his own journey, and and using that to urge Timothy in his walk, in his journey, in his path that he is following. So there are three things, three lessons, if you will, that I want us to learn from what Paul writes to Timothy here. Three lessons that we learn from Paul's example and his encouragement to Timothy about how we are to finish strong. You remember, that's been the theme that we've looked at throughout this entire book of 2 Timothy, that we would finish strong, that we would endure for the sake of the gospel. That's just a thing with our light board and our computer. We actually have not been able to figure out why it does that. And it hasn't ever happened on a Sunday morning yet. As, it, as I uh, seem to remember, it's only happened on Sunday nights. So that's not like, uh, you know, demons in the system. If you're listening on the radio, you're thinking, what is he talking about? The lights just went out in the room. And so now they're back on. So if that happens again, do your best to ignore it, okay? And, and we're going to keep working on the computer and figure out why is it doing that. And one of these days we'll get to the bottom of it. But nonetheless, we see that what's happening here is that Paul is urging Timothy to finish strong, to stay the course, to run his race well, knowing that he's going to face hardship. He's going to endure difficulty. But, but he's saying to him, in spite of all of that, if you will be strengthened by God, you will be able to withstand everything that comes your way because it's the grace of God that will sustain you. It's the grace of God that that stays with us to embolden us in those moments, to give us strength when we lack it, to urge us to stand. And so in light of the grace of God that we receive through Jesus, how do we, how do we stand? How do we finish strong? Three ways, three lessons that are, that are gonna be fairly similar, but, but each of these just lifted from these different verses. So in verse 16, the first lesson that I want us to see is that we're to stand even when it means standing alone. Paul speaks here about his own journey and his own story, and he talks about how when he stood, even though it meant standing alone. And so he writes, at my first defense, no one came to stand by me. My first defense. We, we don't know exactly what Paul's first defense was, but it's, it's likely one of two things. It's likely one of two scenarios. Paul has traveled now to Rome as a prisoner so that he might stand trial before the Caesar for his crimes, or at least his alleged crimes, that took place in Palestine, in Jerusalem, and the surrounding area during his missionary journeys. And essentially, the charge that was levied against Paul was, were crimes of the state. And in many ways, they were accusing him of being an atheist. Now, that's something, right? When you think of an atheist, the last person that you think of is the apostle Paul. And yet the charge, one of the primary charges levied against Paul was that he was an atheist because he did not believe in the Roman gods and he did not preach or teach about the Roman gods. He preached and taught about Jesus, the Messiah, this prisoner whom the Romans killed, whom they crucified, that he was the risen Lord. And, and so not only was it a charge of atheism, but in also a charge of treason because Paul preached and taught that 
Christians should swear their allegiance to Jesus as Lord, not Caesar as Lord. And so these are the charges that they have trumped up against Paul. These are the reasons why they have Paul arrested for treason, for crimes against the state, so to speak. And he's traveled to Rome. Now, arriving in Rome, he would have stood trial and there would have been a a process similar to what we think of today as an arraignment. So in our own legal system, before you ever go to trial, there's an arraignment where they decide, are there enough, is there enough evidence to make the charges stick against you? That's maybe an overly simplistic way of thinking of it, but that's, that's my own take on the process, right? And so Paul would have, would have gone through a similar type of process that he would have had a a, a hearing where they would have decided. Now, most scholars believe that that was not the end. It wasn't a one-and-done trial, that there there was that moment, that trial, and then either Paul continued under house arrest for a period of some several years, many believe as many as four or five years, before his ultimate trial and conviction and then martyrdom, or... Some scholars believe that Paul went to Rome, he had this initial trial, it was determined that there wasn't enough evidence to hold him to make charges stick, and so he was released, and then from there continued on in his missionary activity in and around Rome. Some believe that he traveled as far westward as modern-day Spain. Others think that he stayed and ministered in Rome, and we don't know precisely At the book of Acts, when we get to the end of the book of Acts, the story lets off before these events are recorded precisely. But this much we do know, according to Paul's own word here. There was a trial. There was a moment where he stood trial. There was a a moment where he was called upon to give an account. And in that moment, everyone else fled so that he stood alone. And yet he was willing to stand, even though it meant standing alone. Look at the list of friends or former friends or former uh, associates or partners in ministry, just even in this own passage, right? These are some tough Greek names that, uh, that here, but Demas, he, he lists, and Crescens, and Titus, Luke, Mark, Tychicus. He talks about Carpus, Alexander. And in all of these things, he's listing off these names. He's, he's telling about friends or partners, associates who fled, who abandoned him when, when he was in a moment of difficulty. He says, of, he says here that, that he is not totally alone because he says that Luke is with me. And yet, in a few verses later, he speaks about standing alone. So even then, perhaps Luke... Luke hid or didn't go before or with Paul when, excuse me, when he stood trial before Caesar. So regardless of the exact details, here's the point Paul makes. When the going was tough, my friends abandoned me and I had to stand alone. And yet Paul bears witness that I was willing to stand even though it meant standing alone. His friends may have been faithless, Paul remained faithful. And what he's urging Timothy to do is to stand, is to be faithful. Now, we don't know precisely what Timothy's stand might have looked like. We don't know precisely the the exact events that Timothy might have faced in his own sufferings, in his own persecutions. 
But we know that they're coming because Paul has said to him, even just in a chapter previous to this, in chapter 3, Paul said, everyone who wants to live a godly life will be persecuted for their faith. Everyone who wants to follow Jesus will face sufferings. It was Paul's expectation that if you were going to walk in the way of Jesus and truly make Jesus the Lord of your life, that you would face trials and persecutions and difficulties. Now, that's in Paul's own day and his own time. But I really believe that we ought to have a similar expectation today. The, the, the sufferings certainly will look different. The circumstances will not be exactly what we see. But it ought not to surprise us when we face any kind of hardship or difficulty for our faith Increasingly, it seems like we live in a day and time when Christian principles and Christian ideals, which were once the norm in our culture, or at least much more predominant than they are today, are eroding. And, and in many ways, we can look and say that the moral fabric of our culture seems to be, seems to be uh, falling apart. Uh, really, that's my own take on it, I, I suppose, that... There are so many things that grieve my heart when I look at our world, when I look at our culture, when I see where things are. And yet, it ought not to surprise us that that is the case. Because even as Paul says to Timothy, if we love the Lord Jesus and we stand for him and we truly make him the Lord of our life, we follow him, we, we point our lives toward his true north, we ought to expect hardship and difficulty in this day and time. And so he urges Timothy, stand, even when it means standing alone. Secondly, from Paul's own example, we see this. Proclaim even when you think no one is listening. Paul says in the very next verse, verse 17, but the Lord stood by me. So we know that Paul wasn't truly alone, was he? Because God was with him even when it seemed like everyone else had abandoned him or deserted him. But God stood with me or the Lord stood by me, he says, and strengthened me so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. The Lord strengthened me, he says, so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed. Even when his friends were faithless, Paul's heavenly father was faithful. Why? So that the message might be proclaimed through Paul. See, God had a purpose in Paul's pain. God had a purpose in Paul's difficulty and his hardships. And if you walk with the Lord, you can trust that God has a purpose in your pain too. There's a purpose in the hardship and the difficulty. And it might be that through your difficulty, through your hardship, that the Lord wants to proclaim the message for others to hear. Paul says that it was through me that the message was fully proclaimed that all the Gentiles might hear it. See, if Paul had not been in his circumstance, in his situation, then the message wouldn't have been proclaimed in the way that it was. What's so fascinating about Paul's boldness and Paul's story is there's a point in Paul's missionary journeys where Paul desires to return to Jerusalem. And, and 
the believers in the churches tried to urge him, Paul, don't return to Jerusalem because if you return to Jerusalem, they will arrest you. You are a wanted man. And Paul says, no, that's exactly why I must go back is so that I will be arrested because Paul believed that it would be through his arrest that he would gain an audience with ultimately the Caesar, that he might be able to preach the gospel to the highest court in the land in bearing witness, giving testimony to the message of Jesus. And that's exactly what happened. Paul knew what awaited him. He knew what lied in store for him. And yet he says, that's exactly why I must go. So that I can proclaim the message of the gospel. As we think about our lives, sometimes it seems like when when we stand alone, it feels like, man, I... Am I making a difference? Is anyone even really listening? Is anyone even paying attention? What does it matter if I share the gospel? What does it matter if I stand for what's true? Because no one's paying attention or listening anyway. What Paul says is that I proclaimed the message in spite of my circumstances. And it was through that that the gospel was fully proclaimed. See, we, we, we have to stand strong and stay the course and proclaim the hope of Jesus even in the midst of our difficulty because it's through those dark and difficult times that the gospel is fully proclaimed. It's when the hope of Jesus remains our anchor, remains our great hope in this life in spite of our difficulty. It's in those moments that we most clearly proclaim the gospel of Jesus. Anyone can say that Jesus is is good and that we should follow him when life is good and everything is going well. But it's when we go through difficulty and hardship, it's when we face trials and pains and we stay the course and we proclaim our allegiance to God and our hope in the gospel, that's when we really fully proclaim, so to speak, using Paul's words here. So may we proclaim the gospel even in our hardship, even when it seems like no one is listening or there's no reason why anyone would listen. That's when we, that's when we stand true and proclaim all the more. And then the third lesson that we see in Paul's life is this that we trust even when we are uncertain of the outcome. Look in verse 18. Look at, the, look at the, the depth of Paul's trust here in these words that he says. The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. There's so much faith in what Paul writes here. So much faith in, in his ability to proclaim these words. And so Paul says, I trust the Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. Now, do you understand that in order for that to be true, that meant that Paul would have to give his life. In order for Paul to be brought safely into the heavenly kingdom meant that Paul must die, right? The way to enter into the heavenly kingdom is to leave this earthly world, this earthly realm behind. And yet Paul says with trust and with deep faith, the Lord will rescue me. Paul saw his circumstance and and even his apparent end, what awaited him. He saw that as the means of God's rescue and delivery from the pain and the difficulty of this life. And so he finished faithfully. Paul's friends were faithless. 
His father was faithful. And Paul finished faithfully. We see that here in his trust. If you only trust the Lord when you know the outcome, then you don't really trust him. You trust in yourself. See? If you only trust God and you only do what he's calling you to do when you can predict how things will go or you know exactly how things will will take place, then you aren't really trusting God. You're just trusting in what you know. Faith requires that we trust God even when, especially when, the future seems uncertain. And that's the very thing that we see in Paul's own life and his example here. He trusts God even when he's uncertain of the outcome. Paul gives us an accounting of some of his afflictions and his hardships in the book of 2 Corinthians. In fact, if you read in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul says this, listen to these words. Paul begins, I'm gonna begin reading in 2 Corinthians 11 in verse 23. I'll pick up in verse 24. Paul says, five times I received at the hands of the Jews 40 lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea. On frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers. In toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure, and apart from other things. Paul writes, there is daily pressure of me, my anxiety for all the churches. Who's weak and I'm not weak? Who's made to fall and I'm not indignant? But he goes on to write this. If I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. The God and Father of the Lord Jesus Christ, he who is blessed forever knows that I'm not lying. At Damascus, the governor under King Aretas was guarding the city of Damascus in order to seize me, but I was let down in a basket through a window in the wall and escaped his hands. Paul's writing about all the hardship and difficulty and the way that God delivered him, that at every turn, God, God provided him. God gave him some kind of deliverance. He trusted that God would do it again. If God's delivered me in all of these ways, and Paul is saying that I trust that he will deliver me ultimately into his heavenly kingdom. And then you keep reading. I'm going to skip ahead into chapter 12. Because in chapter 12, he makes this statement that he pleaded with God three times in verse eight to remove this thorn of the flesh, to remove difficulty that he was facing. But the Lord said to him, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. And so Paul writes, therefore I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ then, I am content with weaknesses insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. That is a testimony of faith 
from a man of God who says, I understand that I am weak. I understand that I have been through a lot and that there's more coming. You understand that when Paul, in all likelihood, when Paul wrote this list of afflictions in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, he was probably only somewhere about maybe two-thirds to three-fourths of the way through his ministry. There was a lot more hardship and difficulty yet to come in the days and years after Paul wrote this even. And yet through all of it, Paul's witness was this. I will boast of my weaknesses. I will boast of my hardships because in the midst of my weaknesses, then the grace of God makes me strong. That's the kind of faith that Paul writes from the end of 2 Timothy chapter 4 when he says, God will deliver me. He will rescue me into his heavenly kingdom. That's the kind of faith that fills Paul as he writes the final words of greeting. The Lord be with you in spirit. Grace be with you. The same grace that sustained Paul in his sufferings was the grace that he knew would sustain Timothy as well, if Timothy would but trust in the Lord. We're called to trust even when we're uncertain of the outcome, to trust even when we don't know what tomorrow holds. We trust God in spite of what may lie around the corner for us or lie in store for us, knowing that God will be faithful. You understand, God has never been anything but faithful to you. There's never been a moment in your life, in your story, where the Lord has abandoned you. There's never been a moment when God has been anything less than good and faithful to you. And there never will be, in fact. Because as Paul writes, even when we are faithless, he is faithful because he cannot deny himself. And so we trust him, even when we're uncertain of the outcome, believing that God will be faithful to his word, faithful to his promise, even if it means we go through hardship and pain in this life. God will be faithful to us every step of our life's journey. And so Paul writes to Timothy, Timothy, stand even when it means you stand alone. Proclaim the word of truth even when you think no one is listening. Trust the Lord even when you're uncertain of the outcome. And I think that those simple instructions in many ways encapsulate the message of 2 Timothy. The way that we finish strong, the way that we endure for the sake of the gospel is to stand even when it's difficult, to proclaim, to preach the word in season and out when it's easy and even when it's not, and that we would trust God even though we may be uncertain of the outcome, knowing that he will be faithful and he will be true at every step of our life's journey. How can Paul say these things? How can Paul write these things and, and preach them with such boldness and conviction? Is it because Paul's just trying to tell Timothy what he ought to believe? No, it's because Paul has experienced it. He's lived through it. He's been through the fire. And he's come out the other side and he can say, Timothy, if you will endure, God will deliver you too. You and I can trust in that same promise. In a moment this morning, we're going to have a time of invitation, a time of response. And as we enter into that time of invitation and response and we begin to sing the song of invitation, I want to encourage you that you would, this morning, that you would 
hear this word of Paul as a word spoken to you, as a word written to you, that you would hear Paul's encouragement to Timothy and you would understand that God is speaking this same word to you, that you can stand even when it feels like you're standing alone. You can proclaim, you can, you can preach, as we talked about a few weeks ago when we talked about what that word really means. You can preach, you can proclaim the hope that you have in Jesus, even when it seems like no one may be listening. You can trust God, even though you may not be certain of the outcome. And then if we will strive to finish strong, to endure, God will use us more than just use us. God will be faithful to deliver us. And so let's let's commit our lives to him. Let's commit our struggle to him and renew our faith knowing that God has been faithful and he will continue to be faithful. And we can look to him. Would you pray with me? Lord, we thank you that you are faithful to us. You have always been faithful to us. Lord, you will always be faithful to us. As we think of what might be ahead of us, it's easy to be scared. When we think of what might lie in store for us and difficulties that we might go through, Lord, it can be unnerving. More than that, when we think of difficulties that we will face, it causes us to have perhaps fear, anxiety. And yet, Lord, we, we want to renew our faith this morning and, and, we, and we want to trust in you in spite of hardships and difficulties, knowing that you will be faithful just as you have been. You will remain faithful And so, Lord, fill us with your Holy Spirit. Help us to stand, even if it means standing alone, to proclaim the hope that we have in you, even when it seems like no one may be listening, and to trust you, even when we're uncertain of the outcome. And in all things, Lord, may you receive honor through our lives, through our testimony, that we might bear witness to your goodness as we trust in you through our trials. We pray this in your name, Lord. Amen. As we stand together now to sing this song of invitation, our altar will be open. I'll be here at the front ready to pray with you. Perhaps if, if you want to renew your faith, if you, and, and what I mean specifically when I say that is if God is speaking to you and, and you want to respond tangibly in some way to say, Lord, I trust in you today. I'm going to follow through in what you have. Now I'm ready to receive you today. I'd love to pray with you and encourage you in some way. Maybe you want to just come and kneel here at the altar and use this as your, as your place of commitment before God today. Then come and do that. Perhaps you want to dedicate your life to him. Maybe you want to surrender your heart to him today and say, Lord, I want to follow you. Help me walk by faith. And would you respond in obedience today as the Lord leads you? And so let's let's surrender our lives to him. Let's, Let's hope fully in him, trust fully in him today. And as an act of worship, let's sing this word of commitment to him, Lord. You paid it all for me, all to you I owe. And so... I want to I follow you. That's the heartbeat behind this, this song. Lord, I want to I surrender my life to you. 
I want to give you praise because I understand that you gave all for me and I owe my all to you. Let's make that our response to him now as we sing. And I hear the Savior say, Thy strength indeed is small. Child of weakness, watch and pray. Find in me thine all in all. Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain, he washed it white as snow. Crimson stain, he washed it white as snow. 